You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Wednesday, the 29th of April, 2020. Thank you all for tuning in on tonight's program later on after we do our... Uh, we're going to be going through Psalm 12. Basically, this is what? 12th episode of the lockdown. Episode number 12 of lockdown. So uh, we're going to be going through Psalm 12 um, as we're going through the Psalter, encouraging you, as we have done before, to sing through the Psalms. And um, if you can, this is pr- I think this is probably the cheapest way, or well, you know, to get a physical copy the Scottish Metrical Psalter, the sixteen fifty Psalter. Um, I say this because it's probably the cheapest available. Other Psalters might be hard to get and uh, might be more expensive and things like that. And look, this is like pretty much like the authorized version of the seventeenth century for singing the Psalms. Long story short, so you can get this from Trinitarian Bible Society. Now, if you don't want to get a physical copy, you don't necessarily have to do that. And you know, like, what am I doing? Uh, you've never sung through the Psalms before. Just get an app for your iOS. I think there are. I don't. I, I've never used them, but they do exist, and there definitely are ones for the 1650. And I'm I'm presuming that there are ones for other ones as well. There are one or two other translations that have been done. 1650 isn't the only one. That's around our own denomination as recently, um, I think it was about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we did our own uh, translation. Another Psalter, update of the Psalter. Now, Psalm 12. So, uh, hello and welcome everybody. Hopefully everything is, uh, yeah, everything seems to be going great. A lot better than the last time. Uh, I did a few checks before the, the program started, make sure we wouldn't have the same hiccups as the last program. Yeah, you can go back and check yourself uh, on that. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so somebody actually in the chat room said almost applied to Bethel school years ago when I was charismatic. Wow. That, that what a, that's a close escape. Praise God that you didn't get anywhere near there. Um, look, I'm not claiming to be an expert in Bethel. We'll get onto Bethel in a second. But the more I discover of them and the more I look into them, they are just plain, out and out, not Christian, dangerous New Age heresy. I, I, I try not to be hyperbolic in the way I give critiques, okay? Um, but I have met people who are sincere. Um didn't know them for very long and I have come across people influenced and have read Bill Johnson and don't quite know how what exactly is wrong with Bill Johnson Bill Johnson is the main pastor at Bethel Reading California uh, I'm going to be looking Chris Volaton and Chris Volaton kind of I think perhaps gets overlooked a little bit maybe um, in his problems and his errors he's not quite as good of a snake oil salesman as Bill Johnson I think they're Complete charlatans. The whole lot of them. I, I, you know, there's some people who genuinely, I'm sure, believe in it. Um, you know, are have bought into the whole thing, having looked through lots and lots of his material. I'm, I'm convinced he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, so it's, uh, and look, you can tell this whole COVID nineteen thing. How many of these 
faith healers and all these kind of guys are going into. I mean, if they were genuine, wouldn't you think there'd be massive opportunities here for them to show their their gifting and powers and all this kind of stuff? And uh, yeah, you, you don't see any of it. Now, let's go through Psalm 12. Before we get too much into the program, we're going to spend a few minutes on this. Psalm 12, um, a wonderful and one of my favorite psalms in the Psalter. Let's read God's word. And before we do, we'll just lead in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for all those who are listening live. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless us. And even for those who may listen to this program after, we pray, Lord, that you would um, bless and encourage as we as we read upon, as we read your word, as we meditate upon it. May we grow May we, may we be strengthened by it. And Lord, as we look at this majestic psalm, Psalm 12, that is so Christocentric, that is so, um, that so exalts Christ in his exaltation as he enters heaven. Lord, we pray that you would um, encourage our hearts for these difficult days in which we live. Oh Lord, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll read Psalm 12 and make a few comments on it, and uh, hopefully that will be a blessing to us all. Psalm 12, this is God's precious and holy word. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappears from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone, with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and a tongue that speaks proud things who have said with our tongue we will prevail our lips our own who is lord over us for the oppression of the poor for the sigh, sighing of the needy now will i rise says the lord i will set him in the safety for which he yearns the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when violence is exalted among the sons of men. Actually, I got part of this mixed up with Psalm 24. I was thinking about Psalm 24, and I was thinking about the exaltation of Christ. And for some reason, I thought this was the psalm. But um, as we look through this psalm, dealing with the treachery of men, help, Lord. At the start of the psalm, it it's basically a way I could summarize this is in the Lord is faithful in times of trouble. And the psalmist here, this is a psalm of David, written by David in the hands of David, and obviously written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. For the godly man ceases, and it's almost like the, the, the psalmist is looking around and it's like, where are all the godly men gone? For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Um, there's a, a desperation. There's, um, there's a very interesting way it's actually rendered as well in uh, the 1650. I'll just get that in front of me as well in Psalm 12. It says, Help, Lord, because the godly man doth daily fade away. 
and from among the sons of men, the faithful do decay. And one of the wonderful things about the salt, uh, the metrical psalter, is it has that poetic, much more, much more poetic, even I would say, than the authorized version itself and the prose version. Um, what about these people that are these wicked people? They they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a, a doubled heart. Uh, there's decline in religion being described here by David. The godly man ceases. He, he, as it says here in, in the Psalter, because the godly man doth daily fade away. There's almost a sense of, the, the, where are all the godly people? And there's a sense, is there not, of that today, especially in the West. Verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. And, and they boast. The more arrogant even within the church this happens the more arrogant we become the more we say i will do this i will do that think about if you go on um donald trump's twitter page for more than two seconds he will say we will do this we will do that and most of the time it doesn't really happen but um who has said with our tongue we will prevail our lips are our own who is Lord over us. I know, I know Donald Trump professes a form of Christianity, but it is he. And I, I actually don't think there's a certain level of, he's not just saying it, he's, but it's an apostate form of Christianity. I did a program on it a number of years ago. It seems like, I'd have to do more research into this. He, see, he, he claims at least to be a disciple of Norman Vincent Peale very much of the charismatic movement. So, um, and he's got Paula White as a, an advisor. A, not biblical Christianity, but he, and um, he also promoted mass. Was it, I think it was last Sunday or the other, you know, with some Roman Catholic or it was Dowling. I can't remember. He had a phone call anyway. So, the, the the worse we get in the church, the worse there's more proud boasting. We will do this. Will our lips are our own? Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now I will arise. Now again, we be careful not to interpret these verses in terms of kind of a social justice kind of sense. But there is a certain level of truth to this. Again, who are the people who are often oppressed? Those who are poor and those who are needy, they are the ones who are often oppressed. Um, it's not to say that the poor and the needy are any, you know, we all have sinful hearts, regardless of whether we're rich or poor or whatever the case may be. But often in a corrupt society, the poor and those who are at the margins of society get forgotten by magistrates, etc. and so on. That's why the psalmist will refer to it. It's more of a... This is what tends to happen, and this is what happens in an unjust and unfair society. Um, it's not that we're trying to get that there's never any poor anymore. There will be, unfortunately, but we're not to oppress, of course. I will set him in the safety for which he earns. Verse 6 and 7 is very interesting. I used to think that this verse was referring to... Um, we'll get into it. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. A wonderful 
verse that talks about uh, the, the purity of the words of the living God. And verse 7 is somewhat of a difficult verse. Um, I say this because I've changed my mind on it a few times over the years. Um, you have, you should keep them, O Lord. I used to always think for years, uh, you should keep them is referring to the words, you should keep them, O Lord. I'm not denying there's other places in Scripture you can you can show the, the providential preservation of the Word of God. We talked about it in the last program even. Um, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. There's plenty of verses that deal with the providential preservation of the words of God, the words that God breathed out, the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. I try to be very, very specific about that. That's where the promises are too, to keep the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and then we have faithful, if we have a faithful and accurate translation from the Word of God, then that is the Word of God in that language. Okay, I think, you know. Um, you shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. And um, it's actually interesting. The way it's rendered in the, the Geneva. I'm just going to grab it here. Because I think the Geneva was, uh, yeah, verse 12. Yeah, Psalm 12. Is a slightly different rendering, and it's based on uh, one of the pronouns in, in the Hebrew. Verse 7, Thou will keep them, O Lord, thou will preserve him from this generation forever. Again, just reminding you of verse 7 uh, from the NKGV. And it's the same in 7b of the authorized version, for what I remember. You should preserve them. Is it preserve them or preserve him? The Geneva says him. I, it's very much, it, it is a action, it is literally a singular, but there is a bit more interpretation that kind of goes on. And it's, it's the, the question then is what is, it, what is it referring to? Who is being, uh, you shall preserve them. What, the them or the him? Who is being, preserved and i think it is the people referred to in verse five you might disagree with me that's okay nothing huge rides on how you interpret this verse but however i will say this if it makes the verse the whole psalm flow so much more and this isn't just this is nothing to do with modern translations or anything else like that again um for example the 1650 Psalter used for hundreds of years by the Scottish Church, etc., and so on. Um, says this in verse seven: "Lord, thou shalt them preserve and keep forever from this race, race of people." The rendering there is more in terms of protection, the Lord's protection of His people. Again, there's plenty of verses that can, you know, that shows the providential preservation of the Word of God, but. Verse 7 here is not referring to that. It's referring to how God protects his people. Um, again, it's going back to verse 5. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. And that tends to be actually the majority interpretation. And not just modern commentators, but older commentators. I'm not saying everybody says that. And again, nothing huge is writing upon it, but the, the, the flow of this. In the midst of the psalmist is at the beginning of the psalm. He's looking around. Where are all the godly gone? And 
Um, and there's a lamentation of uh, the wickedness and the proud, the boasting, and uh, and they're talking about uh, who is Lord over us and things like this in verse 4. And talks about the oppression of the poor. And then God says, I will set him in the safety for which he earned. So in that time, in the times of decline and decay, the Lord is faithful. And what are the, why are the words of the Lord brought up here? The words of the Lord are faithful and true. An encouragement in times of distress, when you look around and everything is declining, everything, or looks like it's declining, or looks like it's just getting worse and worse, the Lord's of the word are pure words. Silver tried in the furnace of earth. We can trust these words. And Lord, you will preserve them forever from this generation, from this race, from, from this wicked and evil generation. The wicked, and, and then in verse 8, in the context of all, the wicked prowl on every side. When violence is exalted among the sons of men. So we have to make sure that um, violence is not exalted. And that's what we're trying to do here on this program, by God's grace. Uh, and hopefully we will do that. And hopefully the Lord will enable us to do that. Now we're going to get to our critique. Um, yeah, so... Any questions, feel free, but I suppose there's nothing really right now, unless... Uh, look, if you are from Bethel, don't, don't be shy. Uh, I'm just, as long as people are respectful, I, we don't all have to agree, it's fine. You might, you know, there might be little things you have questions about, and that's okay, fire away. Um... But the man I'm going to do critique of tonight is Chris Volleton. I talked about before on the program. He is the, what's the word, senior pastor of, what is it? Senior associate leader of Bethel Church Red in California, author of The Supernatural Ways of Royalty and Spirit, Spirit Wars. I haven't read that book yet, but I have read this book, which he forwards, and is still, I believe to this day, being sold on the Bethel website, if I'm not mistaken. Destiny Image is a really horrible publisher who um, publishes as well. I don't know if they publish every single thing that is pumped out by uh, Bethel, but um, everything endorsed. Trying to really, in words, emphasize how bad of a group this is and how dangerous they are. And I, I again, I try to be careful with my language. I try not to over egg the pudding, as they say. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get we'll get into it as we go through the critique. Um, this isn't anything new. You, you've probably seen from the title, um, Chris Volaton. Uh, this is back in two thousand eleven, and I only discovered this uh, yesterday. Today it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. And he basically said Jesus took the Bible out of context. And I'm going to look through the clip. We're going to talk about it. And my whole purpose of this thing is to, as time goes on, I don't want to make a hobby horse out of Bethel. Every now and again, I've been dealing with Bethel, I don't know, a couple of years now at this point, probably. Every now and again, as stuff emerges, I want to document and show 
the problems and the, quite frankly, antichrist nature of the teachings and the new age, how would you define new age exactly, is another debate. But look, they'll even admit in this book, and oh yeah, some people are going to be listening to this on Make It A Radio and say, what's he, what's he, what book is he talking about? The book I'm talking about is The Physics of Heaven, which has a number of different authors, Bill and Benny Johnson, Larry Randolph, David Van Covering, uh, Bob Jones, Ray Hughes, etc. And it is forwarded by Chris Valentin and Judy Franklin and Evelyn Davis. And from beginning to end, it is vibrations. It is like listening to one of those new age gurus. And during the book, they say, well, you know, why are, why are our practices so similar to the New Age movement? You know why? Because they stole it from us. They've stole it from the Christians. Uh, so we got to take it back. Seriously. <laughs> That's in there. Um, yeah, unfortunately. So let's get into this. Um, if you want the original video, there's a video called, it's on Chris Volatin's YouTube channel. It's called Hearing God, and I'm starting from three minutes and 25 seconds into the video. Let's take it away. It's okay. This is going to be hard. I don't even know if I'm going to believe what I'm about to say. <laughs> this would be a really interesting study. Take the New Testament and read what Jesus quoted and then interpret it to mean. Okay? Follow me. And then go back to the different passages that Jesus quoted and see what the prophet meant them to mean when he wrote them. You're going to find a very interesting dynamic <laughs> that Jesus all, oftentimes took scripture out of context and meant it to mean something that the prophet didn't mean it to mean when he said it. But of course, if you're Jesus... Now- Again, I'm just going to play it again because somebody might in, be thinking, well, you know, oh, you know, what was the context of this? Well, it's pretty bad no matter what the context, but we're going to just play it again for the sake of anybody, perhaps from Bethel or perhaps even associated with Bethel. And you probably think, well, who, who is influenced by this? I remember a number of years ago, Nabil Qureshi, um, who was a very influential, converted from Islam, wrote that book, Seeking, was it? Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. There's a book like that. Anyway, I've never read the book, but um, a lot of people looked to his testimony, worked for Rabbi Zacharias International Ministries. And near the end of his life, tragically, he sought out Bethel. And I was like in absolute shock. And the more I looked into this, the more I, I, I kind of saw how Bethel was treated by Michael Brown of... Uh, the Line of Fire radio program and all the other stuff that he does. Um, charismatic Michael Brown is another very good preacher, Michael Brown, who lives in Italy, not that Michael Brown. Um, but Or that, oh, they're, they're just seen as, Bethel is seen as the acceptable, cleaned up face of the new apostolic reformation. Honestly, there's a lot of it discredited publicly, the, the Todd Bentleys and all that kind of thing. But there's the cleaned up version that people are going, really? Is that not bad? So that's why I'm covering this. Anyway, again, this is from 2011. 
it's pretty radical, whatever the case. Each scripture is actually validated so that all of the people that are in the crowd understand that you didn't make this up and that you didn't take it out of context and so on and so forth. Jesus is not that careful. I don't mean you shouldn't be. I so Jesus isn't careful. Now, this is blasphemous, absolute blasphemous. We're supposed to be imitators of God, imitators of Christ. Um, if Christ wasn't careful with the Word of God, you know, I don't even want to say it out loud. It doesn't have to be said. It even grieves me just to even have this thought process going through my head. Jesus is the Word of God. He loves what the Spirit wrote under the inspiration of, of God. Beggar's belief for somebody who claims to be a believer. He wasn't. It's amazing how many scriptures, okay, this is going to be hard. I don't even know if I'm going to believe what I'm about to say. <laughs> this would be a really interesting study. Take the New Testament and read what Jesus quoted and then interpreted it to mean. Okay, follow me. And then go back to the different passages that Jesus quoted and see what the prophet meant them to mean when he wrote them. You're going to find a very interesting dynamic <laughs> that Jesus all, oftentimes took scripture out of context and meant it to mean something that the prophet didn't mean it to mean when he said it. But of course, if you're Jesus, <clears throat> you could do whatever you want. Cause... Okay, I'm going to deal with that last comment there in a second. But um, he is basically, to, to get your mind around the, the severity of the claim here, he is accusing Jesus of doing the exact same thing that Satan did. If you go to Matthew chapter 4, verses uh, 1 to 11, when Satan tempts Jesus. And we're going to go through this for a couple of minutes, okay? Um, I think we need to take a break from this kind of stuff for a second and look to the Word of God and what the Word of God says. Um, in, I'm just going to go through, start of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he, was, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become, command these stones become bread. Now, immediately, uh, we're at the end of verse three, Satan, the tempter is saying this, well, if you're the son of God, you're God, make these stones become bread. What's he doing? He's taking Old Testament passages about what God can do and things like this and taking it out of context. What, what does Jesus say in response? Carefully, with absolute surgical precision, says this in verse 4. And he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And of course... 
in the wilderness. They were fed by bread. This is very significant to the Israelites. You know, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life and things like this. But like, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word, not just some cherry-picked and taken out of context. This is the severity of this. So, Chris Volatin, one of the main pastors at Bethel Redding, California, one of the biggest CCM, you know the whole CCM, Christian Contemporary Music, what's that, Christian Contemporary Music? Yeah, I barely know, I barely, I've barely listened, I've listened to years now. In that whole machinery, one of the biggest names is Bethel. These are not some fringe. This is not some low-hanging fruit. This is massively influential across the evangelical world. And they are probably second only to Hillsong. I don't know the exact numbers, but if you go by the YouTube channels and the music videos and all this kind of stuff, they're very close in terms of numbers and, and everything else like that. Wasn't Lauren Daigle, was she from Hillsong? No, not Hillsong. Um, wasn't she from Bethel? You know, I have very little interest in all that kind of stuff. When that whole story about Lauren Daigle kind of broke, I mean, it's tragic no matter who does it, but I, all celebrity stuff, I, I already know. Um, so, it's a huge name. Massively influential. But you know what will solve all this stuff about the... the culture war, you know, the culture wars, the worship wars, or whatever else like that, if we get back to biblical worship, if we get back to um, what the church believed for centuries, including men like, okay, Charles Spurgeon didn't believe that instruments should be used in worship. Neither the early church, neither the, you know, and I believe that that's what the Word of God clearly teaches as well. The temple is done away, so therefore the instrumentation is also done away. And the instrument, uh, the intertestamental period where they congregate in synagogues, the, the, clearly they were sung a cappella. The, the instruments were only for sacrifices in, in the temple, things like that. And the temple's done away, so the instruments are gone. They do point towards something, obviously. Uh, if you look at Psalm 150 and things like this. So instruments are gone. Church a cappella sung for centuries. And then what do you sing? No, no, I, I'm writing a song. Uh, this, oh, no, I don't like that kind of music. Uh, what brings better unity than singing the Psalter? And I, I, I particularly implore the elders and uh, in congregations, and very gently... I'm not saying go in there with a bull, like a bull in a china shop. It's hard for people to change. But I suggest to your elders who are around you, you can't make the decision yourself, of course, let's pray over this issue for a year. Let's go through it. Let's seek the word of God. And, and a lot of this stuff will go away. A lot of the Bethel, a lot of the Hillsong, all the CCM would probably be dead in the morning if the church returned to singing the Psalms a cappella. I say that only this, right? 
well, I believe the word of God teaches it clearly, but above all else, you know, it's easy to kind of w- complain and, oh, everything's, everything's terrible and we need to put forward positive solutions. How can we fix this? Rather than saying, no, no, not a piano. We want this or no, no, we want a piano. Okay, how do you determine that? How do you determine? No, we want a, a band. We want all these fights end if we're unified around the word of God. This is the word of God. And if you're saying, well, I'm not convinced that you can't sing hymns. Well, okay. Just say you're at that point right now. And I'll say, put any of the greatest hymns ever written. Say Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God. Okay. And put that up against the Psalms, which is better. And I just say, you know, if one's better than the other, maybe it's best to sing the best stuff. Anyway, I'll get off my rant. So, um, so this is mightily important. Mightily, mightily important. Okay, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4. What else is said? Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him in the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, here the devil quotes Scripture. And he says, he says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up unless you dash your foot against a stone. <gasps> He's using scripture. He's like, you know, throw yourself down. You know, the angels will protect you. And, and Jesus replies to him again, taking the devil is taking scripture out of context and, and Jesus rebukes him. He says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Yeah, and, and how does that have an application today? You know, we can look at some of the promises, the Lord will protect me. And we can be very flippant with some of the, the health warnings and stuff like that, even today, and say, you know, the Lord will protect me. We shouldn't tempt God. We should, should be terrified. You know, we, sh- we should, if you're a doctor, nurse, obviously you risk your life to save others and things like this. But we don't tempt God. And Jesus rebukes the devil's Taking the scripture out of context. This accusation is satanic. And it is not just a slip of the tongue. It is not just one of those kind of things. Well, why don't you contact him? By the way, that doesn't apply to public teaching. You got to be careful too when you're doing critiques like this. I will say this. Don't go after slips of the tongue sometimes it's possible when we're talking and i may probably go through the archives that i've talked and i've something slipped out of my mouth and look i'll play back and go i said that i'm so sorry what i don't believe that no um i hold somebody's published book to a higher standard because it's gone through editors it's gone through a lot of different things so just be careful that this is not some slip of the tongue it's not a slip of the tongue of course but it should be clarified and repented of if it ever was. And look, this is, this is hardly, 
in that category. Anyway, so um, verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, you might kind of say, where's the temptation here? Jesus was hungry. It was a natural desire for him to eat. Nothing sinful there. Um, and it's natural desire as well for him to seek the protection of God and etc. and so on of his father. Um, and it's also a natural affection as opposed to a vile affection. I bring this up because of the whole nonsense that's been published recently by some blogs about what Jesus was tempted in. He was tempted in natural affections. And this passage brings that out. How was he tempted here? He was tempted by, it all belonged to him anyway. <laughs> he wasn't like offering anything that didn't belong to him anyway. And Jesus rebuked him and said, verse 10, and Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Only you shall serve. There are times for strong worded rebuke. When what you do stands in opposition to the proclamation of the truth and what you're doing is an act publicly in opposite. It is a satanic accusation against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Number one, to say that that Jesus wasn't careful with the word of God. That he didn't handle the word carefully. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, it says this, Do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I surely say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all be fulfilled. And this is why we can have absolute confidence that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that precision. Not one jot or one tittle shall in any way pass from the law. And the Greek is very emphatic. I think they use like this two negatives. Ooh and may. No means. I'd have, to, I'd have to look that up again. I think it's like, no, no, and it's like, never. Obviously, you never render it that way, but by no means pass from the law. It sounded like he was pretty careful with the word of God. And this attitude, unfortunately, is symptomatic of the charismatic movement, is sloppy, in a low view of the word of God. So we want to be friends. We want to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. But we've got to be very careful, especially in a reformed community. When you're working with those who are charismatic or Pentecostal, if you can encourage them to go the right direction, praise the Lord, but do not get influenced in that direction. Because what you're going to do, you're going to depart away from reformed theology into sloppy, liberal, 
heartfelt, very ni- nice sounding ways of very subjective means of eisegeting the word of God. And don't think for a second you can't fall into this. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So, yes, encourage, yes, tr- you know, I'm all for fellowship as much as possible with whatever background you're in or whatever. But, be ca- but being wise about it at the same time. Let's continue with our critique. Back to our video. <laughs> That's just a little funny. <laughs> so here's the point. God speaks in mysteries. If you look at the book of Proverbs, it opens up Proverbs chapter 1. And when my kids were teenagers, they had to read the book of Proverbs every day. And by the way, they got way behind every week. But if you read chapter 1, book of Proverbs, it says that it tells you why the Proverbs were written, you know, to make naive people wise. But what's, what's another one? So that you could understand riddles. Did you notice that he said that one of the reasons for the Proverbs was to understand riddles that didn't give you a single riddle? Okay, let's, before we just take it face value, and not that we should do that, of some of these, what does Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 to 7 say? So we actually know what the Word of God says here. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. This is what the Proverbs, and you could say any, any part of the Word of God, to perceive words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to make young men, to the young men knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Get a different rendering, actually, there. Just uh, interesting to see what the... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, there can be various things in the Word of God. Obviously, we compare a scripture with scripture and come to a biblical understanding of it, but it's not some nebulous, even use the term mysterious. Like, mystery in the Word of God, by the way, is something that was hidden but then revealed. If you look at the end of um, Romans chapter 16, for an example, like that. So, just want to look at, I just have the Geneva in front of me. I love the Geneva translation as well, to be honest. To understand, verse 6, to understand the parable and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Okay, so that's the Geneva rendering of that. I don't know if the King James is any different. Anyway, so... The problem is, they take a word like that and then drive a truck through it. A couple of questions before we get into a couple of things, just because I don't want to get too much of in a dovetail, but it's an important issue about exosomity. Um, great question um, about using uninspired songs to be used outside of Lord's Day. Now, just to explain the view of my denomination, my own view as well, by the way, and of Christians in Scotland and the United States and all over the world, that only the saw the Psalms should be used in worship. It's called the regulative principle of worship, or part of the regulative principle of worship. And um, 
Now, if you believe that, can we sing uninspired hymns and songs and, you know, like get your guitar out and sing Amazing Grace or something like that around the campfire or whatever? Um, here's the thing. It's the regulative principle of worship. And when we're doing worship, psalms should be used if it's to God. When it's, I don't see any problem if it's outside of worship. Why? Because outside of worship, and we got to be have clear demarcations because you end up with problems if you don't. It's the normative principle outside of worship. The, years ago, um, the the um, the National Council of Family Integrated Churches ended up with a ended a kind of misapplication of the. Um, the regulative principle of worship and ended up applying it to Sunday school and other things like that um, where it really ought not to be. So worship, education is something else. Th- that is the normative principle of worship. Or not worship, the normative principle which is applied to life. Okay? And the normative principle is, is this. Scripture needs to condemn it or have some kind of scriptural principle in order to condemn it. The regulative principle, it has to be commanded or it is forbidden. Hopefully you see the difference. Uh, this has been programs before on this, but I don't see any problem with somebody outside of worship singing or whatever, or doing poetry or whatever. You know, it's, it's a bit like, um, don't read a, you know, like, Matthew Henry shouldn't be read as like it would be scripture during the worship service. But outside of that, you can read Matthew Henry, of course, to your to your delight and everything else like that. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, um, it, yeah, it can open the door. It can. We all got to be careful. We all got to. But you see, the thing is, if if. If we kind of get to a point where we we're very strict outside of worship, we find it un, un unsustainable, and what ends up happening is it actually waters down the regular principle. So it ends up being well, you you, know, you, can't, you end up watering it down outside the church, and then it ends up invariably watering down within the church. So actually, I would argue if you have a robust normative principle outside of worship. And also, that may, can, if done right, uh, maintain a regulative principle of worship within the church. These are things that have to be thought out, prayed over, uh, and things like that, of course. Um, any other questions? Oh, there's somebody who was, like, uh, was there for... If you, could, if you could... There's somebody in the chat room said, I was one for 21 years were you in Bethel? Just curious. Um, whoever's in the chat room there, um, it would be kind of good to know. And look, if you want to share some of your... Now, let's do it in love. We want to reach out to either if there are believers within Bethel, that they'll come out. But we want to do it lovingly. We don't want to go, ah, why were you in that cult? You know, do you know what? I'm just saying, here's th- what you shouldn't do. Here's what we should do. It's like, be welcoming. Um, be gracious. We all 
came from uh, what 12 years ago I was you know back in 2008 if you told me I'd be Christian I would have laughed at you I was the first thing from reformed back in 2011 I was a, a fundamental independent Baptist um, and I probably described myself as a zero point Calvinist at that point so we all came from various places and um, so I digress or did he you're not getting this at all. <laughs> Jesus, help these people. Hey, I'm being like Jesus. I'm speaking, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> One of the main reasons were the Proverbs was so that you could understand riddles. But sometimes riddles are written in a way where they don't sound like riddles. They sound like instruction to farmers but underneath this instruction to a farmer is actually a riddle. But you don't know it unless you have... Uh, for the people, for the benefit of those people who are listening to this audio recording, after the fact, it was put up on the screen, the parable of the sower. It sounds like, it sounds like an allegorical approach to... The parables, which is, to be honest, quite frankly, dangerous because you can just about sink anything in there. Um, th often, the parables are explained by other parts of Scripture. They're not left open to, hey, there's a message underneath. I'm not exactly sure if he's saying that, but going by other things I've read by him and other things I've seen by him, no to see and ears to hear this book is locked to people who don't know god it's that part is true by the way um and it but that's a heart issue that's a heart issue this uh, an unbeliever will suppress the truth and unrighteousness so there's an element of truth there you know i don't want to say that just because somebody's a heretic every single thing that ever comes out of their mouth is wrong and that's one of the things that confuses people. If you say that everything that comes out of the mouth of even the Antichrist himself, Pope Francis, um, is wrong and he, not necessarily, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, you know, that, that kind of thing. The, the, the most dangerous false teachers are going to be right a good bit at a time and then veer you away into, in Roman Catholicism's case, a false gospel. Bethel's case, a false gospel. No gospel at all, really. It's just basically some kind of a new age guru, spiritual enlightenment, probably some kind of nirvana, but it, it don't really go through it. Jesus is used as a means to an end by this movement, by the charismatic movement at large. I fear, one of the reasons I do this, right? I fear, no matter how much we go through our Westminster Confession of Faith or whatever else it may be, we are horribly naive to the dangers and errors of the charismatic movement. Again, I am not saying that we should be unloving. We should try. I'm saying, you know, if you're a minister in an area, try and befriend the charismatic down the road, the charismatic minister down the road, as much as possible. If he's trying to reach, lead you in a, in a dodgy direction and all this kind of stuff, okay, fine. You might have to pull back a little bit. But if I find... You'd be amazed in the places where people are open to hearing about reformed worship, 
not just Calvinism, right? Obviously, Calvinism is massively important, but not just Calvinism, but Reformed worship, Reformed piety, holiness. Um, it's not just narrowed down. The Sabbath, Sabbath-keeping, not in a horrible legalistic sense, but in a wonderful, joyous resting in the Lord, being refreshed in Him, the first day of seven. And introducing them. And how it's like they're going, huh, didn't realize that. Because unfortunately, what is titled Reformed is just a, a I don't want to say a footnote, but only part of the Reformed faith. And often things that the Reformers, okay, they did spend time on, but they didn't spend all their time on. They spent their time on various different topics. And we need to not be one-trick ponies and all this kind of stuff. Spirit that leads you into all truth. You can read this book and get its historic content, but you won't get what it was written for because it's a mystery. You see, most people walked away with a good farm story. But a few people walked away, and that's why he shared it with the crowds because he's looking for people. He who has, more shall be given to him. Has what? Ears to hear. And there's an, there's an element of truth here as well. Like, basically, the, 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 the parables were given uh, kind of in like a twofold sense. They were, they were understood by the disciples, and they were explained to the disciples. Um, but there were also kind of a judgment upon those who didn't have ears to hear and eyes to see. Again, this was the visible church in the first century you're speaking to. And there was the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes who were, who were just, you know, seeking where they could catch him in his words. And it was a form of judgment. But it wasn't because, you know, Jesus was being evasive and all this kind of thing. Their problem of the scribes, Pharisees, and the Sadducees was pride. Now, you got to be careful as well, you know, say the Pharisees, um, because most of the Pharisees were legalists, but some of them were right in a few areas. Some of them were right, especially on the law. The Sadducees were kind of traitors, working with the, with, worked with the Romans. Um, Pharisees were very, very popular, actually, in the first century. Um, we can have a very flattened out view of the way we see things, but... Um, there was a few times the Pharisees, some, one or two of the Pharisees were right on a few things with regards to the law. The Pharisees were very strict and rigorous, um, but by the end, they wanted him out because they feared him. He that has ears to hear, more shall be given to him. But he that does not have what? Ears to hear. That's what he shouted before he started the parable. He that has ears, let him hear. He who has, more shall be given to him. More what? More revelation. But to he that does not have, even... Um, okay. He's <laughs> just like, more what? More revelation. Um, more understanding as well. Okay. It, it's very hard to compare at this time. This is, when Jesus is speaking, this is prior to the completion of the canon of Scripture. This is prior to... 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John writing their gospel accounts. This is prior to Paul writing his letters. This is prior to even Paul writing to Galatians in, what was it, late 40s AD. They had the Old Testament scriptures, and he is, Jesus was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. And he explained to those who had ears to hear, ears to hear, nice to see. We should not think that it's always going to be more revelation. If you're obedient, more revelation. This is the final revelation. Why? Because the scripture is sufficient. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Everything we need is in the word of God. And scripture, when it came, it came in various parts. It came attested by signs, miracles, and wonders. God is not the author of confusion. Came, you know, Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And then various prophets and uh, various, you know, the historical books were written. And then David and Solomon wrote the wisdom literature and things like that. And also um, the prophets, you know, the, the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the law, the, the writings and the wisdom literature. So, you know, the, you have this true coming how to in state like so moses signs gifts miracles and wonders done through him elijah elisha um it, it's not just in a willy-nilly getting revelation when it came when god was speaking to someone back then in the old testament time or in intertestamental time of course it happened then it was very clear that it was god number one and it, it would always be attested by some kind of miracle sign to show and make clear that it was God speaking. And God would attest it somewhere else. Perhaps another person would get exactly the same dream, told to go to exactly the same place or whatever the case may be, so that it, it is not just kind of like, you know what, I had a dream last night, and it was this, and there's no way corroborating it. Now, neither should we expect it. Neither should we expect it since the completion of the canon of Scripture. What he has shall be taken from him. Why shall be taken from him? Because he doesn't even know that what he has is valuable. That's why the devil can come and steal it from him, because he doesn't know what he has, so even what he has shall be taken from him, because he doesn't have ears to hear and eyes to see, so he doesn't know that the birds are stealing his seed. Okay, now what does this have to do with you? Most people in this room would say that, at least in seasons, God is not speaking to me. That's not true. The guy... God has spoken unto us by his word. Look up Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In, in times past, he has spoken unto the prophets. Well, I should just dig it up there really, really quickly. In case anybody... Um, isn't aware of this verse, Hebrews chapter 1, 
verses 1 and 2, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Who is his son? The word of God. Has He has spoken. You want to hear the audible voice of God? Read the scriptures out loud. No, that's not a unique quote to me. I think I'm quoting Justin Peters probably at that point. Um, God has spoken. This is the infallible standard by which we test all truth claims. So when we hear about God is speaking to me, well, where chapter and verse, please. Much, huge amounts of the charismatic movement has little to no regard for the scriptures. The scriptures, hear me at this, I'm not talking about all the charismatic, and I'm talking about all Pentecostals, not at all. Some of them are very zealous, some of them are brilliant for witnessing to people, etc. and so on, we praise God for those people. And there's even some ministers who do preach the true gospel and really care and are growing in the right direction. So I'm not saying across the board. Absolutely not. I'm sure there's some wonderful people as well. And I pray that they'll go in a more reformed direction. But be that as it may, um, a massive amount, I don't know, I couldn't put a percentage on it. The gospel is merely a footnote that is referred to, not preached. And when the Bible is used, it is merely a launching pad to experiences. They kind of approach the Bible in this way. I'm talking about the charismatic movement in general here now, sadly. They go to the Bible in order, in a sense, and how they can go to higher spiritual realities and experiences. So it's not in order to understand scripture. It's like, hmm, where can I, where can my imagination take me next? Very sadly, that is often scripture is treated like a launching pad, it is not treated like the final authority. Often. Will you find ex exceptions to that? Yes. Say, oh, I have a lovely charismatic friend who's zealous of the word of God. Praise God. Okay? I'm not talking about everybody. I'm sure there are wonderful people. Um, and there are. But they, they need to get out of there. The, the movement is problematic. Now, do it in a gracious way. Do it in a way that leaves a good testimony. Don't just kind of go throw out your toys or anything like that. State your reasons. Now, find a church first. Don't just, you know, willy-nilly walk away. I'm not, don't, don't, please don't take this as an excuse that you don't go to church. Uh, okay, coronavirus and everything like that. You know, I'm talking about if everything's normal, um, you know my view, if you've listened to my programs on the coronavirus and all that kind of stuff, I think it's it falls under Romans 13, verse 4. This is not Erastianism. Uh, you know, it's not the state persecuting the church, but I've gone through that in other programs. But in normal circumstances, when we're not going through plague season or whatever else it may be, go to church. Go to the best church you can find. One that preaches the gospel and ministers the sacraments. Let's continue. It's called the word of God. It's incongruent with his name. He's the living word of God. How does the guy who's called word of God not talk to you? It's 
You read the Word of God. You read the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not trying to be glib or anything, but that's how you hear God. And if you're not hearing God, you will starve. That is your spiritual food, dear Christian. Read God's Word. You do not go to gurus like this guy and say, how can I go away from the Word of God and really fill in either my imagination, whether that's inspired... Where it comes from, whether it's demonically inspired, where it's just somebody's pure imagination, where it's mental problems or whatever else, who knows? And I'm sure with various different people, it may be one or the other. It doesn't matter. Whatever the case may be, teaching like this takes you not to the Word of God, it takes you away from the Word of God. You use the Word of God in this sense like a genie. You just rub and make your wishes. with his nature. He didn't die on the cross just for your sins. He died on the cross so he could have a relationship with you. The nature of relationship is communication. Silence is not golden. But notice how, again, the constant downplaying of the Word of God. Here is, God has communicated. What is the Word of God? What is the Scriptures? What, uh, the graphe, the, the, the Scriptures, the ins- written by the Holy Spirit has written this book Right here, in my hands. The Holy Spirit has written that. Every jot, every tittle, every iota, every alpha, every omega, written by the Holy Spirit. Well, where is God speaking? Where is God speaking? Hello, there are letters here that are the word of God. And dear charismatic Pentecostal, if you're listening to this, I implore you, dig deep into the word of God. Not for your theology. I mean, charismatic theology. I'm saying exegete, go in. What does the word of God say? Lord, lead me in your ways. Let me delight in your law as the psalmist writes. And let me not just merely kind of go, you know what? I want to go to my, um, my concordance and look up the word tongue, and I'm just going to focus on those verses only, and I'm going to string them together, take them out of context. Or am I going to read entire books and meditate upon it and think about, what does it say? What is it telling me? Don't go bringing your ideas into the text that is eisegesis, that is reading into Scripture, but exegete the text. Read it. Meditate upon it. What is it in context? What is it saying? You know, if one of these guys makes a claim, go to that passage in the Word of God, read it. Is it really saying that? And you'll find with these guys, they don't stick in the same passage. They hop around the place a lot. And look, you can get some genuine preachers who may have a problem in that area. They hop around the scriptures a lot, and maybe what they're teaching is actually good, but it's not a good, it's not a good thing to do. Okay, stay in the passage, explain the passage, lead people through with you in the passage. And look, I'm, I'm sure we're all guilty of that to varying degrees from the pulpit. I'm sure you could probably have an old clip from me doing something similar, but we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. We should explain and lead people through the word of the living God. So you go, well, listen, I know God isn't talking to me. If you've gone 24 hours and not heard God, 
Now, I'll say there are exceptions, but let's, make, let's just make it, let's exaggerate it for a minute. You, I just told you this is exaggerated, right? If you've gone 24 hours and you haven't heard God, it's because he's on a channel you're not on. He's speaking to you on a, in a way that you didn't catch. He talked to you in a riddle you didn't get. And here is, look, this is new age guru stuff. Okay, if I've got a little bit of time, I'm going to read some of this. He wrote the foreword to this. Fully endorsed it. Um, at the back of this, Chris Volatin says this, and this is pure New Age, textbook New Age stuff, the physics of heaven. Right? I've gone through this, made notes on this, I've done a whole program on this called Bethel's New Age Teaching, or Theology, I think it's called. Chris Volatin says at the back of this book, if you are tired of being a settler, existing on the shores of tradition and riskless living, this book is for you, but beware, because once you get a taste of the author's insights into light, sound, vibration, and quantum physics, good night, uh, and you discover how God has written his personal story into creation. Ah, well, maybe there's an element of truth in there. There's, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, but th that's not really what he means here. He's talking about vibrations and frequencies and tapping into that in some kind of new age way. And his personal story into creation, you are destined to see the Almighty all around you. I remember, I think I was making a note during reading this, when I read this a couple of years ago, it was um, that it's quite panentheistic. And it's quite a deal of monism in the book. It's pagan. It's pagan wrapped in a, in a Christian veneer. Roman Catholicism is wrapped in a Christian veneer as well, but at its core, it's not Christianity. It doesn't have the gospel. I, I hate to say which is worse, actually, but, um, you know, light, sound, vibration, quantum physics. So the, 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 this is the Chris Volatin. The, when was this published? Actually, I'll just have a look here. This was published in 2012, one year after this came out. This isn't something it slipped out of his tongue. This isn't something where, oops, I can't believe I said that, and I lost my mind for about 11 minutes. This is his consistent teaching. And he's saying, God is speaking to you in a challenge. You don't really know. How do you find out about that? Light, sound, vibrations. You've got to channel into that. How do you do that? And there's a lot of New Age practices that they will happily introduce you to for the right fee. As a researcher, sometimes I'll go on these websites to see if I can grab materials, and <laughs> there's a paywall, massive paywall. Uh, and, uh, okay, sometimes you might kind of go to certain things you might charge for. Um, for example, I'm doing Greek and Hebrew online, and that costs a bit of money, but you don't understand what that. But the degree of secrecy, everything's behind paywall. Mm. They only want the real serious hardcore people to see that stuff, it seems. Let's finish off here. It might have been in the way that the stoplights moved, or the way the bird flew over you, or the way something somebody said to you, or, or the way that you, somebody came up to you and had a certain thing around their neck, and, you, and, you, and, you, and it caught your eye, and you thought about it for a moment, then you went on, and the Lord was talking to you the whole time. 
Because you just don't know that God's multilingual. He's, you know, I think you remember he said at the beginning, it's like, I'm exaggerating and just, you know, I'm talking hyperbole. However, here we go. Um, by the way, William Paul Young, the writer of The Shack, wrote a, couple, wrote a book a couple of years ago and did that in the preface. And heretics will do that sometimes. They'll say, well, I'm not being literal here, but um, how, how about this heresy? And then you kind of go, well, you know, God might be talking to you through the, the, the what was it, the, the traffic lights and all this kind of stuff. Now, again, you have to read their books to see deeper down where they go with this, but it's highly subjective. It's highly subjective. And, of course, the experience will vary from one person to another. And, of course, the, the preaching is highly subjective as well. Um, and just just for people there, hopefully people have seen that in the chat room. Keep that person in prayer. Uh, hopefully you can see that. Um, Frank, I hope that's okay to mention your name. Frank, just keep Frank in your prayer. He, sa he says, um, can, you please, uh, can you pray for me to stay focused on Jesus? Also to do a great job at work and to have energy and strength, please. Absolutely. And... Um, yeah, feel free, guys, prayer requests or anything else like that. I know sometimes people kind of go, I'm coming into a chat room. I'm scared. I don't know anybody here. So just like, I, I hope it's, even when people sometimes email me, sometimes people might be a bit sheepish. Sometimes I'm a bit slow to get back to you, and I'm sorry if that happens. Um, But look, I'm just a, just a guy living in the middle of Northern Ireland, and <laughs> there's a sense that there's nothing special about this. This is just most of the technology people have in their lives, but I've been doing it nearly 10 years now, so hopefully this can be a blessing to some people. Um, and is there any other questions that I may be missing? Um, nah, no, not really else. Okay, great. You in many different languages. And once you master a language, the Lord will switch so he can tutor you in a new one and build a relationship with you. God's goal is relationship. When your goal gets to be, I'm going to be Mr. or Mrs. Prophet, and I'm going to have all knowledge and all information, God goes, okay, we'll change channels and see how you do with that. You go, well, the gifts of college of God are irrevocable. I didn't say he took away the gift. I said he changes his language. If you haven't heard God in 24 hours, it's because you missed something he said. Here's the deal. This is the question I'm trying to answer. He, he kind of talks at the end about, um, I think we'll leave it there for the, the clip. Um, in the clip, he, what was it? He says, well, if you're hearing audibly from God, it means you might be lost or something like that. It's not really relevant to our critique. So you can, again, if you feel so inclined to watch that, it's called Hearing God. And it's on Chris Volatin's own YouTube channel for how long well it depends how viral the video goes you, you do find there's a bit of a habit of certain videos once they do go viral for you know being unpopular they tend to go missing sometimes so um so anyway um it, chris volatin's forward to the physics of heaven he says this and this is um roman numerals one uh, in this powerful book, Judy and Franklin and Ellen Davis assemble a team of seers who peer 
behind the curtain of creation to reveal the mysterious nature of our creator. This book reads like a journal that emerged from a holy spirit think tank where great spiritual leaders gather to discuss their insights into the complexities of God. Again, to remind you, this book is complete New Age paganism from beginning to end. Chris Volatin also says in his foreword, through their collective intelligence, these seers have emerged with new perspectives never before pondered. Hmm. Wonder what that might be. Uh, he goes on to say that this book is a foretaste of things to come, unearthing that great Apostle Paul penned nearly 2,000 years ago since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, uh, basically takes... Uh, Romans 120 out of context, but what a profound revelation. Creation itself, he says, is like heavenly breadcrumbs strategically placed on the path of life to lead us into understanding the depths of God. I'm just going to skip ahead here for the sake of time. Um, I love the fact that physics of heaven isn't written by scientists trying to discover the nature of God through some intellectual pursuit, nor is it a philosophical monologue subjugated to rational, logical thinking, reducing God to the level of physics. Instead, these authors have set out on a journey into the very foundations of creation with the Holy Spirit as their instructor, mentor, and tour guide. And just to remind you of where this tour is taking you it's taking you to the book or page three roman numerals chris volatin forward to this monstrosity of a book it says this but beware because once you get a taste of these authors insights into light sound vibration and quantum physics where are my notes gone yeah uh, you will discover how God has written his personal story into creation. So light, sound, vibration, quantum physics is basically buzzwords for um, the new age movement. Again, I've gone through this in more detail. I've got a couple of pages of notes just to give you a flavor of what Chris Volatin is waxing so lyrically about in this book. If you look at page 14, in the article written by Ellen Davis herself, it says this on page 14. Um, do, 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 do. <laughs> anyway, so it says here, page 14, I saw healings and mystical experiences, revelations to rival anything I had seen or experienced in the church. Again, this is Ellen Davis speaking here, or writing here. I encountered an understanding of the natural world and how to interact with the spiritual, and I had sensed what had never been taught by any of my science classes. It wasn't that I wanted to become a new ager. I just wanted to find out if maybe they had uncovered some truths the church hadn't. The strange thing was, much of what I saw and heard embodied biblical principles and could be backed up by scripture. Yeah, the New Agers were doing it, but could be backed up by scripture. Um, and there's other quotes as well. I mean, uh, there's very panentheistic quotes in this. Uh, page 24, uh, the, the chapter written by Bob Jones. I don't know a ton about Bob Jones, but I've seen a few really, really strange videos about and i might do a few critiques at some stage on bob jones this is not 
there's a Bob Jones in the charismatic movement. This is charismatic Bob Jones. There's other Bob Joneses. This is not what he's referring to, by the way. Um, there's a Bob Jones University. Nothing to do with that, Bob Jones, in case you're getting confused. Bob Jones, charismatic Bob Jones, says this from page 23 at the bottom of the page. You've asked me, what do you think the sound was that came? And you mentioned vibration. I believe the vibration takes place in us. We are negative and positive vibrations. A positive vibration is like a portal into heaven. A negative vibration is like cancer. When the power comes, the positive will kill the negative. The vibration. Everything vibrates. Rocks, trees, everything vibrates. And if you get into it, um, we're all one. That's that's most certainly where they're going with this. Um, It's been a long time since I've read this. Um, Everything vibrates. Rocks, plants, trees. And you, you, you vibrate. A positive vibration, Portland to heaven. Negative vibration, cancer. This is pure, pure New Age mysticism. Anyway, I'll just check if there's any questions in the chat room. Feel free. Again, look, if you're listening to this in Sermon Audio after the program, or you're listening to this through radio.com or the iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, you can come and join in with the fun of the chat room. I quite enjoy it because it allows bit of back and forth a bit of banter that prayer request and um i like it because it's you know before i remember when i did the program and it wasn't live it was eh, you know it was nice at the time but it's just you know you don't have anybody to um you feel like you're just talking to yourself sometimes at least i did back then anyway so uh just checking in the chat room uh, the program's hopefully all going well monday wednesday friday 9.30 UK time. So you just got to work out um, wherever you are in the world, what time that is. I'll try and put up the next one, probably tomorrow or the day after. Um, any questions there? Yeah, there, there's nothing really else. Uh, I think I'll leave it there. And if you've got any questions after this and you have... Um, anything you would like me to critique? I can't promise anything. Uh, and again, stuff has been sent to me. And it's not that I'm not going to cover it. There's one particular cult that I want to cover. I just haven't done a whole lot of work in it before. and taking my time with it. And so hopefully that's been a blessing to you. Hopefully that... And look, if you're from Bethel and you don't really want to get involved in the chat room or anything like that, that's fine. Feel free to email me, megatofilms at gmail.com. I will try my best to help you. And uh, may God bless you and talk to you again Friday.